is an origin story. The definition found in the ever-trusted source of Wikipedia states that, quote, in entertainment, an origin story is an account or backstory revealing how a character or group of people became a protagonist or antagonist and adds to the overall study of a narrative, often giving reasons for their intentions. Now, I want to add to that definition that sometimes an origin story, it's focused on what led you to a certain place, the origin of the journey. Sometimes it's about your heritage, where you come from, and how your family lines help define who you are and what you stand for. But the big question is, why does an origin story matter? And why does it matter to you? Why do you want to listen to this podcast? Well, stay tuned for a story and discussion on this very topic. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee. And I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. story matter. It basically boils down to helping people understand you or your idea and story is ideal for this. Have you ever wanted someone to understand where a concept came from? Like for me, I may want to share the story of how Love Your Story was developed. Where did this idea come from? Why does it matter to me? Well, Love Your Story definitely has an origin story, which by the way, if you want to see it, we just updated the website and you can watch a video series on the website, easy to find, it's on the homepage, and it tells the story, it tells the origin story, the backstory, my story, and how that led to Love Your Story. Or you'd really like to share with someone the story of where you come from so that they can understand you more completely or trust you more completely, connect with you. That's what the origin story does. When we're seeking to connect with another human being, it helps them to understand our why. So origin stories are powerful in business as they help you show, not just tell why you do what you do and why that should matter to your employees or your clients, but they also matter in our personal lives. And we're going to look at both of those today. Let me start out with an example. David Hutchins shares an origin story in his book, The Circle of the Nine Muses, and I share this as a as a business example. There was an MBA student that he was in the U.S. on scholarship. And as David was trying to help him find what his origin story was and why that mattered, they'd go back and forth and they wouldn't, you know, really get to the meat of the story. And then it just came out. He said, I grew up in South America and we didn't have any money. The way we earned our money was that my father owned a trophy shop. His whole family worked there to survive. And then one day, a famous Hollywood superstar came into their little trophy shop because they were filming somewhere around the town, and that was really exciting for them. So he says, I spent my entire childhood observing winners because the people who came into the trophy shop were winning things. They were accomplishing things, and I was fascinated. I would always watch them, whether it was Sean Penn or the coach of a winning team. What did these winners have in common? I wanted to understand everything I could about winners and leaders. And that's what I wanted to do for my career. That's what was interesting to me. That's what brought me here to the U.S. to get my MBA. Okay, that's his origin story. That's how simple it is. And now you know, as you're listening to it, 
he's not just someone who needs the job. He's got depth. He's got drive. He's got reason that's been worked into him since he was a child. It's an expression of his identity and something that's been interesting to him for his entire life. If you're sitting there on a panel thinking about hiring him and he shares this story, how much more serious are you going to take him? So in our personal lives, let's shift gears there. Our origin stories may be useful for connecting with others, but they may also be really important to ourselves. So Will Schwab was born in Saigon, Vietnam during the Vietnam War. His mother is Vietnamese and his father is from Kansas City, Missouri. He has three brothers and one sister, and they came to the U.S. in 1971. So in this story, his father dies shortly after they arrive. And what ensues after, as he watches the struggles of his mother through his childhood, creates an origin story that has helped shape his responses to his own life journey. And let's hear that in his words. Will, can we start by having you tell the story of your childhood and coming to America and share your origin story from your perspective? Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me on. And uh, it'd be a blessing to uh, to share that story. My mom it was born in Vietnam and all four of her kids, uh, all four of her boys were born in Vietnam, including myself. She was married to my father. And then we came here in 1971, four years before the fall of Saigon. So uh, we were the first Vietnamese folks to emigrate here uh, in the early 70s, at least in, in our town. And things were going pretty well. My dad made really good money, worked for the government. And then he got cancer and um, took him a long time until he passed away. And my mom uh, was 27 years old at the time. And you guys, you guys were, you were uh, here in America at that point? Yeah. So, uh, yes, we were. Yeah. And so we here, we've been here about a, uh, maybe a year. And then my dad got really sick and he passed about 10 to 11 months after that. So uh, it wasn't very long after we arrived. No. Uh, and, the, and the reason why, yeah, so it was, um, it was pretty, pretty crazy and hectic for our family. Uh, part of it was because uh, none of us spoke, other than my father, none of us spoke uh, English very well. I spoke Vietnamese and French uh, when I came here. Different culture. My mom left her whole entire family of 11 brothers and sisters plus her parents back in Vietnam and has never seen them since. I uh, had no friends, no culture, no job skills, never finished the ninth grade, didn't really have any uh, resources or uh, job opportunities or places to go. And um, so when my father passed, even though he had great insurance, like life insurance, he didn't have living insurance. And so basically everything was taken away, no car. So we moved from a five bedroom house in a really affluent area to a one bedroom apartment, the five of us. My mom was 27 at the time, oldest boy was 11, and the youngest was six months old, and then two boys in between. Wow. So, I mean, that's a pretty daunting deal, right? Like yeah, my daughter's cute. 26 and I can't, Im I can't imagine from your mom's perspective, what that must've felt like to be in a completely foreign land and having just lost your husband, which is huge anyway, but him being the only one that really knows how to interact in this land. And Vietnam is, is quite a different place with big differences in culture and interaction and certainly language. It's, that's not an easy adaptation. Especially in the 70s, right? Like today, it's a little different, right? It's, uh, mm -hmm. You know, we're very diverse today. I mean, back in the 70s, not quite. There were very there were no Vietnamese folks, really, unless you worked for the government in the U.S. because the fall of Saigon hadn't happened. So there was 
there's nobody immigrating over here uh, on purpose. But my dad saw some things in advance, and so he brought us here, and we were already uh, naturalized citizens. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, we didn't know the language. There was no culture. No one was like us. So we had to assimilate pretty quickly. What did your mom do? Well, she did what was necessary. So I think that's one of the things that we'll tie back to, but she did what was necessary. So the first thing she decided to do was go find out if it was possible to give us up for all four of us up for adoption so we could have a better life because she knew she she would have to struggle. And that was actually in play. It was at the 11th hour, the, the papers were going to be signed, but you know, because of the language barrier, she was under the assumption that all four of us would be placed at the same time with the same family. And they said the likelihood is that will never happen. All four of them will probably go separate ways. And she said, okay, then I'm going to buck up and I'm just going to have to do what's necessary. So she went and got jobs that uh, folks that have no job skills or language or uh, are willing to do and uh, people will be willing to hire them for. And that is uh, she went and did a housekeeping in a, in a hotel or uh, at people's homes. And she worked 16 hour days for about three years, five days a week. And then sometimes on the weekend, she would do either nails or she would clean people's houses. So she worked 100 hour weeks a lot of time. So we never saw her. Wow. And so that, that was tough, but we survived. And we, you know, and we had a one bedroom apartment, the five of us, and, and we made good and just did the best we can. And uh, yeah, what did the kids do without any supervision? <laughs> what was that like? Oh, well, you know, you learn everything on your own, right? And so uh, it was kind of a, you know, it's, uh, there's a, a old Winston Churchill saying, yeah, sometimes your best isn't good enough. You got to do what's, what's necessary. So mm. we did what, what was necessary. We just immersed ourselves. And at the time I was eight, my older brother was 11. So he did all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the, basically he was the dad and the mom because my mom couldn't be around. And then uh, as an eight-year-old, because I had the best grasp of English, I was the person that kind of, handled all the affairs because I could, you know, kind of help navigate even though I was only eight. How long did it take you to learn English? It took a while. I had a lisp. I had um, a stuttering problem and I had a really bad accent. So it took me mm. about three years, but I'm, uh, I had a speech class three hours a day after school every day from first grade to fourth grade. So I just immersed myself into books. And, and actually my dad told me, look, if you really want to fit in when you're, when you don't fit in yet, you have to be better than everybody else at what they do really, really well, which is school, learning, athletics, whatever it is that they do. So I just immersed myself and I try to get as good as I could in like math. I was really good at math and learn those things and just spent my, all my time in my room reading and getting better. That's an amazing and intense beginning. What, do, <laughs> what do you feel like, what do you feel like you took from that experience that blessed you or, or just deeply influenced you in the things that were to come later in your life? What were the main lessons? Well, well there's positive and negative lessons from it. Uh, I grew up with a big chip on my shoulder because um, kind of had to learn everything on my own and I had to grow up a little faster than everybody else. So, so I made a lot of bad decisions because of it because I didn't really have mentorship or supervision. I mean, everybody kind of needs structure. So I kind of learned a lot of things the hard way, mm, sure. but, it also, but the positive that came from it is, look, there's nothing that's impossible. Like literally there's nothing impossible. And the other thing is that people are willing to help the people that are willing to be part of their own rescue. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom got a lot of 
a lot of help. About two, three years later, she was learning English, and a lot of folks just saw like how how much grind and grit she had, mm-hmm. and just like she's a great lady, hard worker, super loyal, and so they found housing for us in a nice middle class neighborhood, so we didn't grow up poor and in the ghetto. They uh, helped her learn English, and then they got her a job at a at a place where she ended up becoming a manager in quality control for. Um, like a little itty bitty parts and um, hardware parts and electronics, uh, which she knew nothing about, but she's a pretty quick learner. And to, to see the, maybe the positive in, in, in things instead of seeing the, the negative in things. When you're living it that way and, and it's kind of hard to figure out wh- where your next meal might be or the sacrifice that you had to do, uh, you kind of think it sucks until you look back and you go, man, those were some of the best times. My mom could cook. Yeah, so she may, she may do with certain things, but she was one of the best cooks in the history of cooking. So, uh, so yeah, you look back and you go, wow, we were actually really blessed. How did that grit that you learned from her come around to help you during your tough times? Or tell us, tell us part of your story, losing your car. And what, what happened there and how did watching how your mom handled life and where you came from help you know how to handle that situation? Sure. Well, in the early 2000s, I had a, a really great job for, you know, and I was doing really well and life was good. I had a beautiful car. I was married. I had a, a nice house. going to start a family. And then it just all like dropped. You know, I mean, like after 9-11, it just, you know, got laid off like a lot of other folks. I just couldn't find employment that was similar to the lifestyle. And then uh, everything just fell apart. I lost my house. I got divorced. Uh, they repossessed my car out of actually the parking lot of the company that I ended up with. At the time, it, it, it wasn't good. <laughs> no, I bet. However, in retrospect, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's because it put me back to a basic foundation, right? Which is if you've got your wits about you, you've got effort, uh, you've got heart, and you go out there and you do your best and you try to help people and serve them. Others will see that and people will always try to rescue somebody that is willing to be rescued and is part of that, right? So that, you know, that's the second time you brought it up. You saw that happen with your mom, but then you also are implementing that into your own story. And we haven't really talked about that before, but I think it's so true because I know that I react that way to people. I'm much more willing and desirous to help people who are like trying to help themselves than people that are just standing around complaining about it. And that's probably kind of a human tendency of... Yeah, if you're not willing to help you, you know, what what can I do for you? But if you're willing, then yeah, let's get on board and help. I, I like that idea. You know, one of the main principles in all spirituality is humility, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're truthful about it, instead of trying to live up to some persona or perception, and that's why having my Mercedes repossess was a great thing. It actually put me back to where I started, right? Where it was humble beginnings, and you just go do the things that you're supposed to do and you grind because it's the right thing to do, not because it's going to make you millions of dollars or make you successful or, you know, put you up there in the social ladder. And so what happens is when people see that, they see a little bit of themselves and they go, gosh, you know what? I'd be more than happy to help this person because maybe they just don't have the resources and the skills at the time, but they have everything else that goes with it. Heart, desire, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, the, the wanting to learn the ability to get outside of their own box and of course get out of their own way too. Cause um, I'm a stubborn person. So it was hard for me for a while to get out of my own way to become, you know, successful and, and do well. So that's, that's one of the pieces. The other pieces, 
you know, um, loyalty and commitment, making decisions. Like my mom could have made, I guess, a good or bad decision, depending on how you look at things, right? She could have given up all four kids, all four of her kids up for adoption. And that would have been good and bad. Good is because maybe our lives would have been better in some other ways, but bad because um, then we wouldn't have, uh, you know, the, the connections that we have today, you know, as, as sure. a family. Mm-hmm. And that would have torn us completely apart. And she didn't want that. Um, so so I'm, I'm all about uh, people and loyalty and, and commitment. So that she's taught me that. And then the other thing she's taught me is she was like four foot 11. She weighed like 95 pounds, but she was one badass woman. I mean, she, you know, uh, women are, are amazing. And uh, my mom was more than amazing. And uh, it's because she did more than what was expected. She did way more than her best. There were times where, I mean, I don't even know how she did it. She worked 16 hour days, didn't have a car, yeah. still had to sleep. And then and still somehow take care of a newborn baby somehow talk to her kids. <laughs> and, uh, we, yeah, we can do hard things when we need to, but man, you sure don't want to have to do something that hard. I don't know, have any idea how she did it. That's phenomenal. She sounds like an amazing woman. Yeah, she was. And you know what? She wasn't perfect. There were times where we just go, oh my gosh. But she, she was also very funny because of the way we kind of grew up. I mean, I, I just remember one quick story about her is like, we used to say, hey, why don't we leave all of our doors open and you know, what, what if someone kidnaps us or steals our stuff? And she said, look, if they kidnap you rotten kids, they'll return you in an hour because they'll feel sorry for me. And they might even leave some nice stuff because they'll really, really feel sorry for me. So It's good to keep a sense of humor during the tough times. Well, so. I think that's the other piece, right? Like you just don't take yourself that serious. You, oh. you know, it is what it is and you just got to move on. So. Yep. If you can do it for sure. So you're sitting there, they're towing your car off, but you've still got to work. How do you get to your job? How do you move forward from that point? Regardless of what spirit or religion you're in, there's always this, there's always a silver lining. You just got to sometimes dig deep to find it. But the day that my car was being towed, I was actually on my way to an appointment where I was being paid on commission only, but I'd set it up. I put a lot in the pipeline. I worked really hard. And the bus showed up at a bus stop, and it's a true story. I jumped on the bus and just said, hey, look, I need to go here. And they said, it's your lucky day. I'll drop you off three blocks away. And I made about $8,000 in commission in about three, four hours. And that set me off. And I could have bought a car, but I decided not to. I decided to take the train and the bus like I was because it made me really structured, disciplined, I used to be late for everything. I was never late ever again after that because I couldn't afford to be late, uh, right? Because sometimes convenience is complacency, right? If it's too convenient, you don't really get to it. You start to procrastinate. You come up with reasons why you might not mm. do things. I had to do everything perfect. I mean, it had to be planned, perfect, and I had to execute uh, more effectively and efficiently because I didn't have the resources of a car or technology, a cell phone, internet, all those things. But that made me actually better structure. Yeah, where did that take you to in your career? I exploded. I was rookie of the year my first year. Never done insurance before in my career. I got promoted within uh, after a year. And then the next position was a leadership field management position. I was there eight weeks and I hit a 13-week quota in eight weeks and I was tops in, in, in the territory. And then they promoted me one more time and I owned an agency for 13, 14 years after that. We were tops in the company, top five in the company, three years, and uh, just a bunch of other accolades. And it's all about team. It's all about, 
you know, giving, it's all about those things. It had nothing to do with me really, but it did come down to structure, discipline. And it really came down to all the things that my mom taught us, whether it was directly or indirectly, right? Or in, what, unconsciously or, or subconsciously. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Do you have any parting thoughts about your origin story and how it affected you and, and still does? Yeah, everything happens for a reason. And sometimes you just... You just have to be patient enough to know that it might not actually affect you right now. That, you know, the whole drive-through mentality today. Yeah. Like everybody wants to go to, to the drive-through, order a steak, get it in 30 seconds, and it's going to taste like a steak. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of folks have uh, the wrong expectations. You just got to be patient and know that if you just stay the course, it's supposed to be where it's supposed to be. You're going to be destined to end up where you're destined to end up. And then the other, the only piece of advice I'll give to anybody is this. Don't wait to know everything before you do something to, to move forward and get better. Thank you. You know what? Both of those pieces of advice I needed to hear too. <laughs> they, they're just always <laughs> such good reminders. I couldn't agree with them more. Thank you for being here, Will. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Lauren. Appreciate it. story is based in receiving his powers from a scientific accident. Batman's origin story is based in the death of his parents and how his choices shaped the trajectory of his life. Wonder Woman's origin story is one of being raised by all-female Amazonian warriors with a sense of responsibility to the world. Have you ever noticed that superhero origin stories are fun to look at? And they always play a major role in the character and their superhero path. It's always about where they come from. As do the stories of our pasts create for us the forward projection of our lives. I'm going to throw out an idea here. As you consider your origin story this week, consider if it has held you back or if it's helped you to live to your greatest potential. Think about that. I throw this out for a little brain time because we have told our life stories through our perceptions and our assumptions and our lenses so many times that, of course, we know them forward and backward and they're fact because they're just what happened to us. But in reality, this is not true. They are not fact. They are events that we've interpreted in a certain way. And if that interpretation has added to you making choices that created a small life for you or a scared life or an unworthy life, then revisiting those stories and reframing them, considering how you can change your assumptions and shift your stories to create beautiful possibility and celebrate learning and individuality, well, then we're on to something. Will's story is based in watching his mother struggle, make hard choices, and stretch beyond what she thought she could do. She set an example that helped to propel him when he hit hard times. And that seems like an origin story that provides inspiration and examples. Only Will knows if there are other aspects of that story that he could shift. But what he shared with us was a beautiful use of his origin story that popped up to give him strength when he was in moments of having to really bear down and figure out how do I make it out of my really tough places. The Love Your Story origin story came from a place of not loving my story and the search to figure out how. That's a rags to riches, so to speak, story that illustrates taking a weak space and creating good from it. Okay, so we're on to the challenge for the week. Your challenge this week is to consider your own origin story. First, what is it? 
And second, does it support your best life moving forward? And third, what other angles could you tell this story from? Fourth, does it need a reframe? And if so, you can jump on the Love Your Story podcast website, www.loveyourstorypodcast.com and sign up for the reframing course. This was not a plug for this course, but it is something that is a helpful tool. So if it's helpful to you, it's a phenomenal five-step program to help you find the value and the worth and the positive aspects of the things that have happened, especially this the tough stuff that has happened. And it's a resource that's on the website. So use it. Love Your Story is here to provide those tools to help you love your story. And this is one of those that's available to you. So have a great week out there creating your best life story. I will see you back here next week. And if you wouldn't mind, I would sure appreciate it if you would hop on iTunes and leave a review. Would love that. See you next week.